1: with acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we meet, the Turrbal people, I'd like to pay my respects to all of the elders across Aboriginal Australia, for they protect the memories, traditions, cultures and futures of our people. Thank you.
0: I'm a feminist. But today I went to see a feminist art exhibition in Brisbane. And I was very tired and I couldn't remember what this art exhibition was called. So when I went into the gallery, I said to someone, Do you know where the womany art exhibition is? <laughs> it's womany. It's womany. It's womany. It's something to do with women. I was very tired. Womany.
2: Womany
0: w- womanesque.
2: <laughs> I'm a feminist, but last night we played in Sydney. It's my first time in Australia and when I arrived I'm staying in a uh, Newtown in Sydney. And, uh, and I looked up the best places for lesbians to go in Sydney and um, the top of the list described as the lesbian mecca
0: was Newtown, Sydney. Okay. Um, and can, so, Can I just hold up there on the cultural sensitivity of lesbian mecca?
2: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: Could we call That's it the lesbian from heartland? From absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's
2: a dirt quote from the article, so uh, you have to send your cancellations to autostraddle. Um, uh Anyway, after the show, I was uh, selling merch. Everybody in Australia is so incredibly hot, by the way. I'm not just saying that. Everyone in Australia is so hot. There's all of these hot queers around the merch table. And while I was packing it up, the merch boxes were really heavy, and in front of all the queers, I lifted it up myself (laughs) (laughs) and wandered off with it. And then as soon as they were gone, I got Jeff to carry it back to the (laughs) the (laughs) hotel.
0: No dramas. (laughs) Too easy, too easy, too easy because Jeff did (laughs) it.
2: He had to stop halfway there, it was really fucking heavy. Sorry Jeff. Can I just say,
0: by the way, sometimes I've had Australians write in and say, you shouldn't do an Australian accent uh, (laughs) because it sounds like you're taking a piss. And I really am not. I find the Australian accent very hot because it was the accent all the boys had when I was a teenager. All the boys who didn't fancy me had that accent. Mm -hmm. So I still find it hot. And actually, this is an I'm a feminist, but it's an off-piste one. I'm a feminist, Bart. My yoga teacher in Bondi the other day, holy hell. And he had that real... Like, he's no one I'd... I'd sort of marry on first sight, but... He is... There was something about... You know that real surfer dude? Like, I wouldn't be compatible with him. And I don't mean long-term. I mean for an afternoon. But... He was really tanned, really sort of that blonde, you know. And he was so yogury as well. And he kept like coming and, you know, when they sort of readjust you. <laughs> he yeah. kept adjusting me right. in a quite a firm manner. He <laughs> was quite strict. And I was like, dude, I'm a feminist, Namaste. but. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but uh, today I told Grace Petrie that she was a koala, which in Australia is the lesbian version of what a gay man refers to as a bear. Because she's like a little cute koala. She's furry, like, hair. But only on her head. She's got, like, little... She's like... This is not what I thought this was going to be at all so far. I I just thought... Like, I could see you in a tree, do you know what I mean? Like... You've got a koala star quality. That is not a thing, by the way, you should say here in a lesbian bar. Nobody calls anyone a koala. I made it up. It's bespoke for you. But I feel it could take off. Koala
2: seeks hot queers. Sorry? Koalas, koalas have chlamydia.
0: <laughs> Hashtag not all koalas. I can't catch a break I'm not suggesting you shag a koala How
3: such... have we got here? I
0: don't know Can you do one please? <laughs>
2: um, I'm a feminist but when I was 19 I was on the TV quiz show The Weakest Link um, Yeah Did you watch that? Much in Australia? Was it presented by Anne Robinson here? oh fuck this isn't going to work I think it is I think it is she was very she was a very
0: uptight mean English woman yeah and her whole
2: thing was she insulted people so I went on the show and I didn't get very far I was voted off in the second round but in interrogating the people who voted for me Anne Robinson said to this woman why did you vote for Grace is it because she's younger and prettier than you and I was like fuck yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) fuck you Jane (laughs) You always remember the names, the ones that bully you. I wrote a song about her. Did you? Did you? Holy grudge.
2: Can you sing us that tonight? The only bit I remember is there was a line that said, "It was Jane, a secretary from Suffolk, and why she voted for me, I don't give
0: a fuck." I've gotten better as a songwriter right, she really has. since I was 19. She really has. She's come on in leaps and bounds. I'm a feminist, but yesterday I sincerely said the sentence, genuinely in a discussion backstage at the theatre in Sydney, what stops me from sleeping with Barack Obama is my loyalty to Michelle. I don't know where I live sometimes. I just, in that moment, I was like, no, because of Michelle, because of, you know, our friendship. (laughs) We were on the same bill once. We spoke at a school together. Oh, wow. Mm. Mm -hmm. She didn't see me speak. I saw her speak. She had so much security around her. Have you got another one? Or are you done? You don't have to.
2: Uh, I'm a feminist, but the only thing that stops me sleeping with Michelle Obama is loyalty to Barack Obama. (laughs) (laughs)
0: From the Powerhouse Theatre in Brisbane The sponsor of to show presents The Guilty Feminist With the <laughs> lead of Frances White Guest covers, Grace Pitching Very special guests, Randall Hines Soraya Stewart And Natalie Malinsky the Art and Feminism This is The Guilty Feminist The podcast in which we explore our noble goals As 21st century feminists And the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them Today, I'm here with Grace Petrie, and we're talking about art and feminism. Grace has come all the way from London. No, Leicester. (laughs) Leicester in the UK. Via London, to be fair. Yes. Sorry, I ruined your introduction there by forgetting. Not everyone in England lives in London, and not everyone in the UK lives in England. I say as I double back... (laughs) Grace does not live in London. Can you stop othering Leicester? Yeah, I've othered Leicester. I've significantly othered Leicester, and I apologise for the othering of Leicester. Grace is what we call a Leicester legend. Leicester's the equivalent of where would you say?
2: Jeff. My Australian geography is not very good.
0: Where's the equivalent of Leicester? (laughs) Newcastle. Don't mock Leicester via Newcastle. I see what's happened there. Somehow the, the context of this is so lost on me.
2: I don't know why you laughed at Newcastle. I've not been there yet, but um, thank you for
0: welcoming me to your country. <laughs> uh, many of you will know it... Grace Petrie because she, uh, uh, she's awesome. Yes, correct. Um, because on this show, uh, she came out. I didn't know Grace at all. She was recommended to me. <laughs> I came out on the Guilty Feminist <laughs> no didn't come out i mean she did come out but not on the show no i came out about 25 years before i was on the gilly families
2: how old were you when you came out i was never in
0: (laughs) was it just a sort of this is the thing now is actually i'm very encouraged by the way teenagers don't bother coming out. There's sort of like there's sort of telling information like this is something I've I've learnt about myself that I would like to share with you. Is that how it was for you?
2: My mother said, I think you're gay. <laughs>
0: your mother came out to you!
2: Yeah. Oh my god! I mean I, I couldn't I couldn't argue. <laughs> it was I was banged to rights. Yeah. Your mother yeah.
0: came out to you.
1: My about mother
2: it was very sweet. This is very off-topic for today, but we're, no, we're doing it, aren't all. we, Brisbane? <laughs> blimey. Um, uh, my mother was, I think, worried that I was worried about telling her. And I wasn't. I knew my parents were amazing and I knew they were going to be fine about it. But I was just like... How uh, old were you? Uh, like 12. <laughs> but I was just incredibly awkward about it because it was just... About, yeah. Well, it was just talking to my mum about people I fancied, which is awkward... Whatever. Yeah, Yeah. awkward anyway. So she was like, "Uh, I think you're gay. And I just froze and went, Okay. (laughs) And she waited quite a few seconds and then went, Well? (laughs) Oh, am I right? And I went, Okay. And then
0: I ran out the room and then we didn't talk about it until I
2: had a girlfriend four years later.
0: Wow. Wow. That is absolutely fascinating. Mm. It's a very generous thing to do. Yes, yeah, she's the best. She's yeah, to make it, yeah, to try and make it easy yeah. for you. Yeah. And in another way, a horrendous nightmare. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah. A very gen- mostly a very generous thing for yeah. a mother to do, to just go, by the way, if this is the case, I know. Unless you are such an awkward British family that you thought, God, I've got to be gay now because my mum has said I am. <laughs> and the whole rest of your life has been a sham. Yeah. Because you're the kind of person that doesn't want yeah. to tell your mum she's wrong.
2: You know, it feels good to come out on The Guilty Feminist as straight. And I came to Australia to find a
0: husband... Uh, if there's any volunteers. Oh! 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 We could we could marry you at first sight! That's what they do here. That's what they do. So it's a Australian long, long Australian tradition. Mm. Yeah. It's been going for what? Four years? Four years, channel ten. I'm making that up, I don't know. Uh you just yeah, you rock up and uh they put you with someone's Incompatible as possible. <laughs> what makes better television. It's no good otherwise. How can you make good television with good life choices? I mean, a good marriage is dull to watch. Yeah? Yeah, if you've got any mates who are really compatible, you don't want to have dinner with them. They just make you feel bad. The bickerers. Delicious. Would you say you are an art lover? If we're talking about visual arts, we're talking about fine arts and visual arts, modern art, that kind of thing.
2: (laughs) Um, I feel like the reason Deborah's asking me this is because we went to an art exhibition today at which I describe myself as a layperson, comma, a lay gay. Um, (laughs) uh, And interestingly,
0: a gay lay is your Tinder bio, so that's... (laughs) It's just ha- it's handy. It's good when it rhymes, so we can all remember it, pocket it away.
2: Mm. Um, no, I'm not. I, I know absolutely fucking nothing about art, visual art. Yeah.
0: So tonight we're going to learn something about it, and in fact, how so. it can be a tool for feminism. Mm. You are an artist, though. Of you... <laughs> the fashion.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you should own that and describe yourself you're. You're a woman. You're a feminist. You're an artist. Phil, really you should own that.
2: Uh, okay. No I do, I will. This is a habit
0: of a lifetime. Yeah. This is just when confronted with your own identity, you say okay and leave the room. We won't mention this again for another four years till she wins an aria. (laughs) I am
2: an artist and a feminist and a woman! Thank you. You're a protest singer. I am, yes. I'm a very fucking
0: unsuccessful left-wing protest singer. Just to be fair, what she means is she is unsuccessful in as much as every government in the world now seems to be hard right. Not that she's unsuccessful in as much as she can't sell any albums. That needs to be clear. Because when you say, I'm very unsuccessful, I think people go, what's she doing on the show? (laughs) Why have you booked such an unsuccessful (laughs) artist?
2: Yeah, and I, well, I spent the month leading up to the election doing benefit shows for the Labour Party for the opposition in the UK and um, one wonders how much better we would have done if I hadn't, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think that I helped the cause very much based on the results.
0: No, we would have done even worse were that possible. Sure, let's believe that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm interested to talk to our guest tonight, though, about art. Art in museums, art in galleries, is a bit distancing. And we think, oh, if I don't really know about it, am I allowed to engage with it? And art has an immense power, an extraordinary power. And when we can deconstruct the stories that are told uh, through art and we can look at what contemporary sources there are of art, we can make, create, and hear... Things that we are not able to make, create, and hear otherwise. So I think it's really worth talking about. And we've never—I don't think we've ever had an episode just about art and feminism before. Oh, wow. So I'm very excited about tonight. Mm. We've got some incredible guests. <laughs>
2: Brisbane powerhouse, please welcome to the stage Deborah Francis White.
0: Alright, um, now there is somebody, my producer told me that there's a man here who's writing an article called Five Things I Need to Know About Feminism, which he's hoping to learn in this show. <laughs> is that true? Is there a man here? Can you just declare yourself? I mean, not, is there a man here? <laughs> oh, they're pointing, they're pointing. Oh, what, they're, Oh, you're all pointing like it's a police state. <laughs> you're not going to be arrested, sir, don't worry, calm down, relax. Uh, where are you? How do, how, how do you know he's there? Oh, he's waving. Sorry, I thought it was a feminist sense. There's a man who needs the answers. We feel it. We feel it. Like water divining for feminists. He's over there. Uh, where are you, sir? Oh, there you are. Oh, he's very brave. He's standing, he's wearing a t-shirt. What does your t-shirt say, sir? are you making a woman read it out for you? (laughs) It's very difficult to know that, isn't it? Whether he's not censoring himself, deferring, or whether he's going, it's your job to do the reading. (laughs) (laughs) She was your, she's made you wear this. Um, She chose it. it. Oh, it's the reverse Handmaid's Tale here, gang. (laughs) (laughs) We need to know what it says now. You didn't hear that at home, and you're listening to the podcast. It says I'm making a noise to stop violence against women. And uh, do you mean that, or were you just forced to wear it? (laughs) (laughs) What was that? It was something that was formulated by a wonderful woman called Deb Suckling. Oh, he's name-checked the woman (laughs) who's written it. He's saying these are not my words. What's her name? Deb Suckling. Deb Suckling. She's amazing. She's amazing. Well, is she? Is As Debs go in Feminism... <laughs> don't want to get competitive, but how would you rank us? No, I would love to have Deb Suckling on the show. You've gone away. The light's gone. What's your name, sir? Uh, Daniel. 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 Okay, well, thank you for coming, Daniel. Could you please explain why you are needing five things? What is it? Five things you need to know about what, Daniel. No. Who is a woman is a massive fan. He's being thoughtful. Are you a massive fan, Daniel? I, I've become a convert because. Um, it, it, not a cult, Daniel. You've <laughs> that. You're not a convert, Daniel. You're an enthusiast. You're an engaged listener. You're- So, Rochelle goes into the bath, turns it up very loudly, so you can learn from it, Daniel. That's what's happened. Cause if you shout, can you turn that down please, Rochelle? She says, I can't, I'm in the bath. That's why she's doing it there. I'm pretty, pretty damn certain that's what's happened. I bring her the bath wine. You bring her the bath wine? Oh, your sex appeal's gone up, Daniel. Exponentially. Men have to do so little, don't they really, to... And that's the first thing you need to know, Daniel. The first thing you need to know, what I find difficult here is that all these people have paid to hear this and now you're getting bespoke material for free. So what I'm going to ask you is to donate the ticket price to a violence against women charity. And put your money where your shirt is. (laughs) Um, So that's the first thing you need to know. The first thing you need to know is men have to do very little to get all the credit. A man cannot be a guilty feminist. A man can only be a smug feminist. (laughs) A cis man, anyway, because men tell you they're a feminist the way they tell you they've done the washing up. And I'm a feminist. It's like when a man picks up his own baby
3: that he fathered,
0: that he is responsible for. Without him, this woman would not have such a burden. She'd still be living her life. Nobody would have inhabited her actual insides. She would have never had to house a human being without his valuable sperm. Nor would she have had to push something the size of a watermelon out of a hole the size of a tampon. Nor would she have to have this creature, which at this point it's what it is, suckle off her like a tiny parasite (laughs) but if he is so much as photographed holding this child for a moment at a family gathering he is showered with some kind of inordinate praise for his ability to use both of his arms (laughs) Nobody understands why, but we all do know that when we see those daddy-daughter hair-splatting sessions on YouTube, we all love them! I do! I do! I'm like, look at that father! Touch the hair, touch the follicles of his own child. This man is a feminist. This man is compassionate. This man cares about the knots of his daughter. This man is... Can I give this man a sexual favor, please? <laughs> why, why do I feel like that? Why? Why? Can someone explain it? The bar is low. The bar is low, thank you, yes. So we're sort of piecing this together with the audience. We learn together, and I often learn from the audience. So point number one, Daniel for your article, the bar is low. If you, as a man, are not clearing that bar, why the fuck not? It's incredibly low. We can barely see the bar. On Tinder, the bar is at the core of the earth. If you are not clearing the bar on Tinder, Dante is preparing an extra level of hell for you. That's all I'm saying. That's point one. Point two, I made in the middle of point one. Which is, when you ask a woman to create bespoke material for your article, What you're doing is giving her extra emotional labour. If, in this case, the ability to do some really great material. Okay, people did not agree it was that great. That's (laughs) what's happened there. So therefore, you need to pay for that. But I'm not asking you to pay me. I'm asking you to pay the domestic finance charity. And I only tell you that because I want you to think I'm an incredible human being. (laughs) Point three, I made before point one. (laughs) You cannot be a guilty feminist if you're a man. You can only be a smug feminist. Because Daniel, you just feel so thrilled with yourself for being here. All of the women here are like, I don't think I'm doing it right. That's why I'm coming to the guilty feminist. Oh, I too, I too meant to watch a four-hour documentary about the suffragettes and instead watched Married at First Sight. Thank you very much. I know what you're watching. Oh, I know what you're watching. I've been in this country for some days. Been in this country for upward of 36 hours and I know what all of you are watching. It's a horrendous, horrendous abomination. But if some other person is watching it, it is very difficult not to get involved with those lesbians. <laughs> is it not? Do you not have thoughts and comments? Okay. No? No. Okay. That's, well. no, no, don't be sorry. There's always two tribes at this show. There's the guilty tribe and the feminist tribe. Now everyone's in both tribes, that's the point of this show. But some people are 80% feminist, 20% guilt, and some people are 80% guilt, 20% feminist. <laughs> Give us a cheer if you're in the feminist tribe if you're in the guilty tribe those people are drunk now, this is true yes uh, they have raised their glasses raised their glasses we need two more points one point that I have for you uh, is what do you say when men speak disparagingly of women, Daniel, when we are not there. Because we don't know how men speak about us when we're not there, because we're not there when we're not there. (laughs) I've never been there when I haven't been there. I would love to know what men say, because whenever it secretly comes out because it's been recorded, it's always very bad. (laughs) It's always locker room talk, isn't it? It's always locker room talk. Do you know, I did have a lovely, lovely experience the other day. I was sitting in a cafe in Bondi on my own. And next to me, there were three men. And they were very... They were kind of blokes, do you know what I mean? They were like Aussie blokes. And they were speaking for an hour about their feelings. Yeah. One of them was talking about a toxic relationship he'd been in and why he needed to get out of it, but why he understood why he and this woman had been magnetically drawn to each other and why both of their prior trauma had somehow fit and connected, but how there was no value in escalating it, although there was still love. And the two men who sat and listened to him, nodding and clearly being a bit bored, (laughs) at no point went, all right, mate, we've heard enough about this. At no point did they do that. At no point. They kept on nodding, the way women do. When a woman bores us. <laughs> they had clearly heard about this relationship for some I would say output of three months. Every dinner had been the same. And you know that when you know what that happens when a friend breaks up with someone, and they need a lot of and at some point you start weeding them off. <laughs> weeding them off talking about him. Because he's not worth it. He's not worth he's but you've well you've processed that. We've got it we're gonna get you out there again. I'm gonna set you up on a date, because I need to hear about something else. I don't care if this date I sent you on is the worst date in the history of dates. At least it'll be a new story here. I'm... But I am very encouraged when I hear men speaking about their feelings and processing their feelings and deconstructing their feelings. I think this is a massive leap forward. And when men are talking like that, behind closed, well, it wasn't a closed door, it was very much an open table and I listened in as much as possible. <laughs> at one point I took notes because I thought there was something good for an I'm a feminist but. Is that wrong? Maybe. <laughs> Definitely. That's why it's called the guilty feminist. Now, but when men speak disparagingly about women or are they other women, are you there and are you allying up? What is it that you're doing, uh, Daniel, at that point? So I'm going <laughs> to throw... He's asked. He, he's had three things out of five for free. The fourth one's going to cost him. Daniel, why are you feeling sorry for him? Who is feeling sorry for Daniel? Is he picking up a baby that's his own? (laughs) Presumably. Daniel, what might you say if someone was othering a woman and speaking disparagingly or lasciviously? Would you have a line? Do you have anything you might say? Do you know what you would do? No! <laughs> Daniel! No! I'm asking you genuinely. I am genuinely. No, no, no. Yeah, like, Those are jokes, Daniel. I I
4: regularly
1: call out toxic behaviour if someone's saying it in a bar. I've nearly got into a fight. I've so nearly got into a fight because, um, I put up Priscilla's Bella with some, um, you know, crackhead bogans at a bar. <laughs> OK. Now
0: what we're going to talk about now is disenfranchised people who suffer from addiction. <laughs> Intersections so of oppression Power structures We don't say crackhead bogans And that's number five Are you happy, Daniel? Uh, yes, I am. You don't sound fully happy You don't sound fully happy But, uh good one here's a good one here's a good one but we mustn't talk like it language has power it really really does have power and it's really easy and it's even if you feel compassionate that's a little quick package to throw around it's a shorthand to say someone's a crackhead but it has power because it others them and says there's somebody other than us and the question is not who's most likely to end up with a substance abuse problem the question is when in your life are you most likely to end up with a substance abuse problem, or if you did not have the social structures and the privilege that you had, how easily could you have ended up with a substance abuse problem? And that's why it's important. This is Deborah. I'm interrupting your podcast briefly just to say we are all very concerned about the coronavirus, as of course are you. We will let you know on our website and our socials about forthcoming events. We're taking advice and we're doing whatever we think is the safest possible thing. We'll try and provide more streaming content, more stuff that you can do at home and from home. We'll try and have an emergency episode soon, looking at how you can do feminism remotely and any advice that we've got from experts on coronavirus In the meantime, wash your hands, listen to the advice, stay safe and be part of our big sisterhood. Thank you very much and back to the podcast. Our first guest today is Miranda Hine, a Brisbane-based curator and arts writer with experience across commercial galleries and all sorts of different collections. Her current role is curator at the Museum of Brisbane, where Miranda has curated exhibitions such as New Woman, which you can see right now... ..which showcases 100 years of female artists in Brisbane. Our second panellist is Nat Bohensky. She's a journalist, writer, producer and performer. She worked for three years as the arts editor for the Brisbane Times. Nice, indeed. Uh, She then spent... It sounds like you wanted to have sex with the Brisbane Times. Nice. (laughs) The Brisbane Times. Nice. Um, She then spent another three years working for the Queensland government as an arts policy advisor, first for the Premier and then for the Arts Minister. And throughout her whole working life, she herself has created all sorts of theatre, comedy, uh, all sorts of community projects, cult festival hits, including Speed, the movie The Play, and Love, Hate, Actually. And uh, she also has a very popular podcast about Game of Thrones, and was invited to be a regular panellist on Foxtel's Thrones 360 Live. She is still trying to fill the Jon Snow-shaped hole in her life. Now that programme has ended and ruined her career. <laughs> uh, um, our third guest is Soraya Stewart. She's a Dalgabara Yidinji woman from far north Queensland. She has a fine arts degree from James Cook University and worked as a visual artist before moving to Brisbane six years ago to do her teaching degree. She now combines her visual arts with teaching and she is incredibly passionate about preserving and promoting indigenous languages working with her own elders in far north queensland to spread culture using the arts as the best way to introduce concepts and language please welcome to the stage miranda nat and saraya Take a seat, everyone. Come take a seat. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Hello, my name is Miranda Hine, and I curated the Womanie exhibition at uh, Museum of, <laughs> <laughs> of Bristol.
0: <laughs> I think you should retitle it. I think it would it would lure them in. The Womanie exhibition. It's really called New Woman, just to be incredibly clear.
1: My name is Soraya Stewart. I'm a visual arts teacher, and I believe that language has power. Like you'd said earlier so yeah.
0: Thank you Thanks. very much
4: <laughs> Hi I'm Natalie Bohinsky I run a theatre company called Act React and I've had a very strange career through journalism, arts, uh, politics, arts and who knows what else but arts will
0: probably always be there. <laughs> so Miranda let's start with you. You have curated this exhibition, New Woman. I went to see it today with Grace, and we absolutely loved it. It's 100 years of female artists in Brisbane, so there's there's such variety and so many interesting pieces together, juxtaposed together. So I guess my question for you is, when we showcase male artists, we say, oh, you're going to see this exhibition of expressionists or impressionists, or... Why do we put women together? What's the thrust to say, women... As a genre,
3: it's definitely not ideal, and I w- definitely would say that it's not a genre. But in certain cases, because women haven't been included in you know the movements and exhibitions that you um, just mentioned all throughout history, it does make sense sometimes to then go back and look at people who have been overlooked and bring them together and kind of celebrate them and sometimes that's really big names and sometimes that's less recognized even though their works are incredibly diverse coming from really different experiences in life and um, different backgrounds different medium in their arts and approaches to their practice the one kind of factor that brings all of them together is that the binary labels that have been imposed in our society over many years, in this case the last 100 years, um, have meant that those people have been excluded to some extent or not received the recognition that they otherwise might have, but it also in some cases that they have succeeded incredibly despite some factors that would have um, made it difficult for them to succeed because of their gender. And the, the binary labels that were imposed mm-hmm. upon the society.
0: And I did notice at the exhibition there was a whole section around the idea of it being women and minority genders, and to explore that space, so as not to do another act of exclusion. Can you tell us if we are lay people, or in Grace's case, a lay gay? <laughs> what? What? How can? How can art be? a tool for feminism? Yeah.
3: I would say that we definitely have tried to make the exhibition an inclusive one and it's definitely not perfect, but we have tried to really open up those conversations and you can see that just through the diverse ways that the artists are approaching their work. Every single artist has a different experience and way of expressing that experience. That's what makes a specific artwork or a specific artist's practice powerful and gives that person agency but also the viewer agency to kind of relate to the stories that the artist is expressing through their work to say, oh I have also experienced that Um,
0: How do we read art? Do we need to know about it? Because sometimes I don't know about you but I go into a gallery and go, what does it mean? (laughs) Sometimes I just respond and I have an emotional response to a piece of work and I get it, I just feel it and feel connected should we be looking to just feel it or should we learn some of the language of art when i listen to hannah gadsby and she talks about if her new show douglas if you haven't seen it yet you must i think it taught here recently but it's going to go on netflix as well and she deconstructs some of those ways of looking at art and she also had an art history documentary program on here do we need to learn some of the language to really fully appreciate it or should we be looking to just get a feeling
3: um, there is no answer to that. No one answer. That's inconvenient.
0: Um, <laughs> Feels like I've asked a poor question now. Is the question in itself art, though? Because... Everything am I a, you say I'm is art. A, am, I, am, I, am I a contemporary artist, the kind that could win a big prize for just leaving this room empty and going, negative space?
3: You are a woman, so you might not win the prize, though. Fair, fair. Unless it's a special womany prize.
0: There's a lot of special woman prizes. Special, special... Uh, we have to take men out of the race, otherwise you won't win prizes.
3: Um, I would say that museums and galleries have played a huge role in this perception of art being incredibly elite and inaccessible, and it has been a very slow move to kind of change that, um, and it's still very much happening. So a lot of people do feel like they, you know, first of all, don't feel comfortable going into a gallery or a museum. To see the art is the first step. And then maybe they, you know, might like work and want to read a little bit more about it. And the writing on the wall next to it is completely gibberish. We call it art speak. And most galleries in Australia are moving away from that. And it's really about including people and trying to make art as accessible as possible without telling people how they should be reading something. Mm -hmm. So everyone should be able to, you know, read something into the art which will be different to what the next person reads into it because of the experiences that they're coming to the art with. There are definitely a lot of artists, contemporary artists and especially contemporary women, um, who are referencing art history in their work. So there can be a deeper reading of a lot of works that comes from an understanding of art history and previous artwork, especially previous feminist work and previous kind of canons that have excluded female artists.
0: Indigenous women, I noticed there was some brilliant Indigenous artists included in your exhibition. And, of course, that may be something that then, you know, we do need more language for.
1: In my experience, uh, as you tried to say earlier... Um I'm a Dugabara Yudinchi woman from far North Queensland. Uh, in the Soraya, in the edit, that is what I'd say. I mean I I did learn your people's tongue. But, <laughs> <yeah>. Um <laughs> I'm so, too easy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was so worried about getting a fight. I was so terrified. I should have oh, rehearsed more. No, I rehearsed no. it like 12 times. It's so forgiving. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm honoured to be here. And um, <laughs> I, I really am. And I certainly don't speak for all Indigenous people. I can speak on, on my experience as a young rainforest woman from far north Queensland. Um, yeah. um, but I think what you've really hit the head on is, is the accessibility that um, art brings to exposure to minorities. And I know growing up both as a fair-skinned Murray and in rural North Queensland, um, that those challenges or those questions about my identity happened a lot, and not only just in a cultural identity sense, but as a strong black woman. Indigenous women across the world are the, you know, some of the most downtrodden women or people across the world traditionally, so, or sorry, historically. However, arts is that tool. Uh, For me, I'm a visual arts teacher, so I am going to preach that, but my life has been led by learning through the arts. My auntie started when I was three years old, you know, one year old, walking around country, so, and taking those bits of country back to learn from and to create from and to work with and... And for me now, I carry that on, and and there are so many Aboriginal educators in the arts, you know, sitting, carrying on that legacy, and I think probably I love what you said earlier in language has power, and I think for me, the arts is really the way to connect language and not only Indigenous peoples back to where their heart and their spirit belongs, but also for the wider uh, mainstream community to connect to culture is the arts and is exposure to language, so and really exposure to language through the arts through song through comedy through sorry comedy over here through visual arts <laughs> you know we, we we've got that that ability so um, yeah if nothing else I think expose yourself to the arts to indigenous arts go to every Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander art event that you can indigenous art event across the globe um, every you know big city has them so or small t- country towns have them as well, so there's no excuse, really, to not be exposed. We can't get rid of that really, you know, sad last 200 years, but what mainstream Australia and, you know, the Western world can gain from Indigenous perspectives and Indigenous knowledge is really that um, that care and that... that Yeah, I, I don't know what I, where I'm kind of going with that, but... You, sorry.
0: One thing that you said that really interested me was that, as a teacher, you were able to talk about how nomadic Indigenous people had a sort of historical feminism that is not widely known about. Could you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, so for me, I had a very strong father. I have a very strong brother. They're leaders in our community, and I'm not diminishing the power or the strength of my black brothers, but... Women in my life have been strong. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women in my life and in, in every community that I've ever seen are strong. They're resilient. And Aboriginal people have kind of dealt with our colonial you know, history in very different ways. And we've been survivors in very different ways when we look at genders. But traditionally, and I, I keep trying to think about, women and men in rituals, we had equality. We had men's business, we had women's business. It was not that one was higher than the other. It was never that one group was ever higher than the other. You know, just because Aboriginal men were hunters and were the warriors didn't make them this Westernised ideal of patriarchy. Um, I feel like there's kind of been a lens Mm. of Western patriarchy um, over our whole world. But in my experience, in every Aboriginal community, I see it's strong women and that, I think, links highly to our traditions and to our traditional life of having equal balance, having equal power. And a lot of the, the more negative things that have kind of changed that power or what I was talking about earlier with dealing with survival in different ways, each of our kind of gender roles have ended up dealing with that, whether it's the incarceration rate of Aboriginal men, whether it's the domestic violence, you know, the victims of in, in Aboriginal women, the, these things exist, but they exist because... Our systems were broken. Our traditional law was broken and our traditional practice were broken. So, you know, whilst it's very painful, I think it's it's in empowering women, but, but empowering our elders, but specifically our, our strong um, indigenous women across the world, because we know they're resilient and we know they're unbreakable, so, yeah. yeah.
4: Do you mind if I throw something on just in terms of um, Soraya's point about language and, mm. and education? I love that now. So I'm a you know, passionate arts person, love history, all of that stuff, but I have neglected in myself and probably as a kid was neglected in the stories that I know and, and the uh, cultural practices that I know about from our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. And a few years ago, the Queensland Theatre over at West End here did a production called My Name is Jimmy. I'm not sure if people saw that. It was one of the most transformative experiences in the theatre I've ever had. Jimmy Barney, who wrote it and starred in it, uh, he played Eddie Mabo in the ABC film of Eddie Mabo's Life. So he's a very well-known actor and he, he put together this production with his mother, his grandmother, two of his brothers and one of his sons, and they were all in the show with him. And it was the story of his life on Moboag Island and the life of his grandfather, who was a collector of language, and he was the guy who worked out that recording equipment could be used to save language, all sorts of other things. It was the best, most transformative theatre production that I saw that year, and that was also the year I saw Hamilton on Broadway. Wow!
0: <laughs> because... Take that, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Well,
4: and look... <laughs> Hamilton, I think, um, you know, in terms of turning immigrant American stories on their head, um, had a very similar thing. But being this was my state, this is my home state, this is culture that I should know about, I should know more about. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jimmy talked people through some of the terms for your uh, mother's mother versus your father's mother and all of those differences that I didn't know about. And I left feeling so... Well, I cried, first of all, you know, but I, I left feeling not angry but uh, uh, disappointed that I've never had that opportunity before now and if that production is ever near you if you see it I, I wish it could be filmed and put on Netflix because that's the kind of amazing content that kids and, and people all adults could learn so much about and I just left feeling so fulfilled and I think for me as a theatre person um, seeing that stuff played out on the stage it just can change so much and taught
0: me so much in two hours you know now, that brings us to the very real question of funding. <laughs> because <laughs> who, what is funded? What is canon? What is curated? Who decides what's important, what's main stage, what's in a studio? Now, this is something you have experience of because you worked as an arts policy advisor for the arts minister. I left Australia it had an arts minister and arts ministry. <laughs> I came back. What? What... what Guys, it looks like carelessness. What, what have you done with the Arts Ministry?
4: So, I, I first want to uh, declare that obviously I'm not in that position anymore. I left that position in 2018. So, what I speak about from my experience has been my experience in the past. And also, I worked for a state government. Uh, this question is regarding our federal government.
0: I want to. How many non disclosure no, agreements it's not that. did you sign? Just... <laughs>
4: I want to be very upfront about arts is political in the sense that it doesn't tend to be as supported as much by conservative governments as it is by progressive governments. And I think that that is a problem that is not innate to Australia. I think that's something that probably happens the world over. Our federal government at the moment is a uh, liberal, which is a right-leaning government. It's
0: confusing that for the rest of the world. It because is. Because everywhere else, liberal means exactly.
4: that. Exactly, yes. Um, they mean liberal in terms of you should be able to do absolutely anything you like and we won't tax you if you're rich already. But don't expect us to pay for anything else. Like the arts.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh,
4: now, I, 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 for me, these decisions don't operate... In a vacuum, there's a whole bunch of reasons why our federal government would want to absorb a whole bunch of smaller portfolios and put them under these bigger portfolios. And that's a very political thing. Our federal government putting arts and communications into a portfolio with transport. <laughs> now, listen, you have to be able to get around to go and see <laughs> art and consume it. You know you do okay. need to be able to have good public transport systems, and what else is in this umbrella i 'd have to look i don 't know is it I, agriculture agriculture I think maybe i i don't i can 't remember but there was there was a painting of a
0: horse to be fair at the exhibition there was yeah. a painting of a horse that's right it's important it a great painting of a horse if you go oops, uh, <laughs> find oops, big continue
4: so. So, in Australia, all of the federal arts funding comes from a body called the Australia Council, which is independent at arm's length from government, but they get a big pot of money from the government. The bulk of that money goes to what is called uh, major performing arts companies. So, our big arts companies like uh, the Australian Ballet, Opera Australia, Queensland Theatre, Queensland. you know, so all the states have a few of these companies and they take the lion's share of funding because they're sort of institutions, the big institutions, and we have a few galleries and symphony orchestras and that sort of thing in there. What we are talking about in terms of arts recognition, I think, is the small to medium sector. And that is where people like Soraya and people like Miranda fit in, I think, is that small to medium sector where you're talking about not great big behemoths, but you're talking about people and companies that
0: are smaller and they're trying to make a difference in the arts. And therefore tell... Less Tell. regularly told stories. Exactly. So giving voice to indigenous women, giving voice to a female artist in Brisbane who were already marginalised, therefore yeah. are not in the canon. And that's the constant thing. It's like, yeah. we've always got money to put on Shakespeare and... Wagner, Yes. Because we've already decided they're good.
4: That's right. So the good thing is we had a few years ago in Australia a great big problem when the government about five years ago took a whole big chunk of money from the Australia Council and essentially turned it into a slush fund for a previous conservative government uh, where they started just handing money out to their favourite sort of things, which tended to be more of your high-end art type stuff. Highbrow, dead white male. Highbrow, dead white male type stuff. (laughs) Um, that money kind of has come back but it's been reduced so what happens is there's a smaller pile of money for those small to medium mm-hmm. sectors where we get the new work where we get the new ideas where we get the Grace Petries and those uh, Soraya's and the people who are coming
0: through and who need that support she's not she's getting any funding at all she's never had any <laughs> I, so, and I, you're I, getting some money from the Australian Arts <laughs> oh please look looking <laughs> out there. <man. laughs>
4: I want to be very clear, I've also never received funding personally from any government and I don't feel I don't feel that what I do is worthy of funding, if that makes sense, because that's taxpayers' money and there are, in my mind anyway, and maybe this is me putting myself down, but there are people who are much more deserving of that funding than me. So, for example, at the moment we've got the Australia Council handing out money for this small to medium sector. About 1,200 companies and small... Uh, organisations put in funding and about 200 will actually get funding and that's just because there's so much demand and so little cash. Now what our government could do would be to boost the amount of cash available. Great idea. Great idea. Let's tell them to do that. And Soraya and and Miranda and I were talking about this backstage. Uh, The last couple of years there's been sort of a 250th anniversary celebration of James Cook's Discovery, I say with bunny ears for those listening. You went to
0: James Cook University. Could you.
4: It just, Ironically,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> could you
0: describe Did for our, some of our global listeners who may be young and don't know, you know, if they, you uh, know, you could we, live in Idaho, never heard of James Cook?
1: Yeah, so um, he was a man who sailed to Australia. He later reported back to his old mates um, in England and they sailed down and put a flag in for those of us. Globally, who don't know who yeah. James Cook is. So you're not a fan? Not really a fan. Um, the town I grew up in, Cairns, if anyone's been to Cairns, <laughs> there's a four-storey statue of James Cook in the Hail Hitler sign. so
0: are still led,
1: getting there. Yeah,
0: yeah, obviously led to the massacre of Indigenous people. But So in a way, you going to his university is a bit two fingers up, pretty, isn't it?
1: Yeah, if there were options in rural Queensland to go to another university, I would have, and
0: I did want to do my education. I quite like it. It's sort of parasite feminism.
1: Yeah, I'm clinging on. Suck at James
0: it. Cook. I'm learning here now.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, presumably was your logo.
1: Uh, <laughs> s- slogan.
4: So the federal government, our federal government allocated... I'm not entirely sure what fund they're all different pots of money you have to understand but they spent 50 million dollars to celebrate or mark this 250 year of his journey. Now perhaps they could have just spent 5 or 10 million on that and maybe given the other 40 the Australia Council, to fund more small to medium arts, which Mm. then go on to be the seed of the big arts companies. So now those big arts companies, the opera companies, the ballets, they're actually recruiting and finding their future talent from the small to medium sector. So it's all part of a a system. What do they call it in ecology? It's all part of an ecology, an arts ecology, and every part of it is important. So when you choose what to go and spend your dollars on in the arts ecology, uh, my suggestion or pleading entreaty is to spread your dollars around and have a look at the programs and see where the funding is coming from and it'll have like government logos on it. It might have business if they're getting corporate sponsorship. It might have no sponsorship on it which means they're funding it all themselves. So have a look at that sort of thing because your dollar stretches so much further with the independent and the small to medium sectors than it does with the bigger things. Not to say that they're not valuable in their own dead white male way. Absolutely not.
0: Hashtag not all dead white men. Not all dead white men. (laughs) But definitely James Cook.
4: (laughs) So I think it's knowing that the arts is an ecology and we all fit into it In different ways. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can't afford the opera. But sometimes they might put out $25 tickets. Go to that one. Save your money there. And maybe spend your other money on a small to medium independent show that costs 30 bucks at a festival. Because that money will go all to the artist and they'll actually then be able to keep growing their work. Because it's like any skill, you have to keep putting stuff on and particularly in the performing arts and I imagine in the visual arts as well, you need to have that exposure to audiences, you need to have feedback, you need to see what's working, you need to network and grow your connections to other artists and business people and other organisations. So spend your money freely in the arts, Mm -hmm. I think is what I'm getting at. So look at who you're investing your money in
0: and petition the government just because they have sucked the art... They've they've put it underground so that it can be dismantled and defunded. So petition them to continue to fund the arts. So getting rid of the name, sort of sidelining the
4: name, is a first step to be on the watch for cutting funding. Mm -hmm. And the cutting of the funding is what really hurts. Um, they might, if we raise up a big stink about the name, and they say, "Okay, we'll give you back your ministry for arts." They might not increase the funding. They might, well, they might cut, cut it. it by half and say, "So, oh,
0: you've got your name back." Exactly. So, so that's what to look for is that's to petition right. the petition of funding. Uh, I'm getting waved up by people at the powerhouse to wind up. So, Miranda, could you just tell us why we should come and see the womany expert? <laughs> it's not called that. It's it's called New Woman. Uh, why should we come and see it?
3: So many reasons, Deb. Um We actually in Brisbane have some of the leading artists in Australia and actually in the world as well. A lot of those are female Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women who we often forget are from Brisbane and they are representing Australia on the world stage with incredible quality, you know, calibre work. So that's one, very, really good art. But I would also say just learning some of those other names as well. The exhibition is a reflection of the history of Brisbane, the kind of social, political and economic history of this city um, and the legacies of that, how it's affected the artists and how the artists have affected the city. It's a social history show as well as an art show and we do hope it's very accessible for anyone who wants to learn a little bit about the city or about its artists.
0: Great. And if you can't get to Brisbane, seek out female art exhibitions. seek out art exhibitions for women on different intersections of marginalisation and Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. Uh, Soraya, is there anything else you'd like us to know that you came to say that you'd like to leave on the stage before we close this evening?
1: Probably just touching on what Miranda just said about legacy. We all have kind of a responsibility in this country, but abroad, to really open ourselves up to what may not have been previously taught to us, but also to leave a legacy for those behind us. We know governments and successive governments that we've had haven't really been sensitive to that legacy that we, as all Australians, should foster and really protect. If nothing else, then just add 80,000 years of pride to your history. That's. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> Have you got anything to plug? Anything we should come and see? Uh, Yes,
4: I am doing a show... I'm doing two shows here at the Brisbane Comedy Festival. Uh, One is called Speed, the movie The Play, uh, which is a comedy parody of the movie Speed set on an actual bus. You are the hostages on the bus, held hostage by a mad bomber. Only Keanu Reeves can save you. Uh, There's only 40 people per show because it is obviously... On a bus. Uh, so please book a ticket for that. Uh, the other one, if you have kids or family, we're doing a show called This Is Your Trial, which I'm actually bringing out from the UK, uh, which is an improvised comedy courtroom. So bring along your friends and family. You get to accuse them of trivial crimes and then we put them on trial. So... It's a lot of fun. It's, a, lot it's fun. a great show. Yeah. But most of all, if I can just leave you with one thought, is a quick audience survey... Of the women in the room, did you book the tickets for tonight? <laughs> it is a known fact that women buy the majority of tickets, at least in the performing arts, and I'd wager a bet in other art forms as well. So, women, your dollars are so powerful, and you can make men go see whatever you want.
0: <laughs> so, use it! <laughs> Very good, it's true true. If there's a group trip to the theatre, it's never a man that's organised unless it's a gay man. Very true. Uh, Grace Petrie. Yes. You're an artist. Do you ever sell your art? Sometimes I sell my art in the
2: foyer of this theatre. <laughs> that's where I was going. Um, I'm, yeah, after the show, I'm going to be out there, uh, like all good socialist protesting singers, I brought fucking CDs to vlog to you. Um, uh, You know, uh, down with capitalism, but do please buy the CD. Um, Makes a lovely present for the angry lesbian in your life. Um, uh, You will have one you don't always know. I would I would also just uh, like to say that I am um, after I've finished the Guilty Feminist tour with Deb, I'm doing my own tour of Australia. I'm sorry that I'm not coming to Brisbane, um, but I'm coming to some other I places. Think you should
0: add a show in Brisbane. Seriously.
3: Too <laughs> easy.
2: Too easy. What,
0: easy.
2: what Too are easy. you doing? They would, you you would know you know it. I can't just add a show. You know how these things work? <laughs>
0: Do have a show
2: too easy can you, get, can you get her a I've center. got flights booked mate it's not uh, uh, listen I'll come back to Brisbane I promise um, but I'm doing other shows in Australia I know it's a very big place but um, uh, nobody's coming to most of them so if you have friends they are, they are, they in are, any of the places that I'm playing um, I would really appreciate you spreading mm-hmm. the word and spreading your feminist dollars that'd be great Thank you.
0: <laughs> buy a CD buy a t-shirt give your dollars to Grace Petrie and if you could uh, follow the Guilty Feminist on Twitter at guilfempod, I'm on Twitter at FW And uh, on I'm Instagram, I'm DFdubs, D-F-D-U-B-Z. Uh, my account is more personal. Um, that's why it has half the followers. <laughs> really annoys me because I post there loads more. So please follow me. Um, and if you want to review the podcast, you know, we don't... This is all... Apart from if you come out, the podcast is free. And that's one of the things about podcasts. They're free art. Um so, if you would like to uh, leave us a nice five star review, then that would really help other people find the podcast and buy my book um that that wasn't popular um <laughs>
2: Okay, so I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something um, uh, I'm going to do uh, I'm going to do a, new, a brand new song that uh, I've only just written um, and I've not played it anywhere in the world
0: <laughs> Guilty Feminist Exclusive
2: It's a Guilty Feminist Exclusive yeah and uh, and that, and if I fuck it up you've got to cut it out <laughs> um, but it's sort of it is about the theme of what, what we're talking about and um it is an absolute joy genuinely this is the second day of the tour it is a joy to be on this tour I'm having such a good time
3: um,
2: and uh, last year I did uh, 140 gigs in 2019 and um, I found myself getting quite down at some of them when I was on my own um, and I my career has been very DIY I never had any involvement from the music industry at all because the music industry were not interested in me at all and they didn't kind of Oh, oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Should um, the rest of us leave? <laughs> the two of you. Uh,
2: well, so so anyway, I I um. Uh, I've I've not had anything to do with the music industry at all, and uh, but I have been able to have an amazing career because I have an amazingly supportive audience who have supported everything that I've done directly, right? And we live in this incredible age of uh, independent art where that is possible. But you get, I have been I've had a weird experience over the last year where I kind of got to a certain level where the music industry kind of came along, and like was. Interested in what I'm, I'm doing for the first time, and uh, and I found that relationship of basically trying to sort of monetize what I'm doing. Uh, I found it it made me find songwriting very very hard. So I had a, a whole a long period last year where I was just feeling very not creative at all, and I realised that it's because I was kind of, sort of trying to do it for the wrong reasons and for the wrong people. So um, I wrote this song about it, which hopefully I'm going to be able to play for you now. And it's called. um, We've got an office in Hackney. (laughs) You got your first real six string. You got your heart full of pain. You got the makings there, kid. Of a lucrative campaign. You got your story and your spirit. You got a rock and roll dream. We've got an office in Hackney. We got a really cool team. Because we love this authentic, lonely outsider type Big up that aesthetic on your socials for the hype Whoever said the revolution wouldn't be televised He didn't have our contacts yet, he didn't have our PR guys But I was reaching out for a lifeline is up in lights and it's all going right I've never been as lonely as tonight I've never been as lonely as tonight Well every night I get the spotlight and I take out this guitar And like so many folk before me Easy to open up my scars And I don't know if it's helping Or if it's driving me insane I'm just looking for connection, yeah To know somebody feels the same Yeah, I'm reaching out for a lifeline Fighting the tide, yeah And trying to work out why If my name is up in lights And it's all going right I've never been as lonely as tonight I've never been as lonely as tonight And come rain or wreck or ruin I'll be following these dreams Same way I've been doing Since the middle of my teens If there's a single person out there to whom this song something means, I'd take one lonely broken heart, over a hundred. got my heart full of pain and I don't know how to fix things but I'm still in the game and I don't know what the point is, maybe I'm never going to see but long as anybody's listening this is where you'll find me I'm going to be reaching out for a life vest fighting tidier and giving you my best to turn down all the lights. Stay with me in this fight Between me and my loneliness tonight Can you save me from my loneliness tonight? Can you save me from my loneliness tonight?
0: Been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host Grace Petrie, and our very special guests, Rhonda Hine, Soraya Stewart, and Natalie Behensky. The producers were Tom Salinsky for The Spontaneity Shop and Jeff Ring for Australian Comedy Management. Thanks to everyone at the Powerhouse Theatre in Brisbane, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com.
2: <laughs> you were not. Fucking hell, call this out, please.
0: Jesus Christ. I mean, literally, three minutes is so far usable. (laughs) And we've already run over. Um, No, we haven't, we haven't. Um